This is Keeping the Faith on the Mormon Faircast. The Keeping the Faith series explores ways in which our faith can be challenged and ways in which we can overcome those challenges. This episode features Rich Miller, a man who lost his faith in the church and in God while a student at BYU. Listen to Rich tell his story about what led to his loss of faith, how he came back, and what he has learned through the process of regaining that faith. Rich Miller, welcome to the Mormon Faircast. Thanks for having me. Tell our listeners a little bit about who you are. And as you do that, uh, you know, I think a lot of our listeners come to Fair Mormon wondering, what do I do about a friend or a family member who's left the church or is experiencing a faith crisis? Or what do I do personally if I'm going through my own faith crisis? And uh, your experience came to my attention from reading an article in the Deseret News that talked about how you had been through this process of leaving the church and coming back, and that you'd written up a, um, a, a summary of, of your history and posted it on Facebook. And the Mormon channel became aware of that, and, and they've created a, a short video that, mm-hmm. that uh, kind of summarizes this. And, and uh, so I've seen those, and we'll put a link up on our website so that uh, people can refer to those. But uh, I thought it was a great story and uh, wanted to share it with our listeners. So Mm -hmm. why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are. Okay. Um, So I've lived most of my life in Utah. I grew up in um, Murray and Orem mostly. I lived in Orem since I was eight. And uh, just here in Happy Valley, USA, right? I, let's see, I, I graduated from Warham High, went on a mission to Russia, Samara, um, came back, went to BYU, graduated from BYU um, in dietetics and a master's in public health, uh, and then moved to Seattle, um, which I talk about in my experience, um, and then decided to move back to Utah to start my own company, uh, which is what I'm trying to do right now. I'm on this kick to try to help people um, overcome obesity and chronic disease um, uh, through um, through establishing healthy lifestyles, and uh, and I'm married, and I've been married about a year and a half. We've got our first baby due in a week, and uh, that's a quick rundown. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Is that good? No, that's awesome. So. Give us an idea of your experience growing up in the church. Uh, you know, would, would you say that you had a testimony of the church? That you, you know, had you read the Book of Mormon? Had you, did you, did you feel like that you had, um, you know, a, a, you know, burning in the bosom? I mean, what what kind of experiences did you have growing up in the church? Yeah, I would say, absolutely. I was. I I would say I'm a product of the church and. The programs within the church, and I owe a lot of who I am to the church. I loved the church growing up. I, I, you know, fully active, went to church every week, loved going to primary and going through young men's and scouts and boy scouts and, and, uh, loved, um, you know, serving and doing service projects and, and doing all that stuff. I, I, I would say, um, I loved seminary. I, I, I mentioned this in the video, but um, I think that I think that uh, when you're younger, you do things a lot of times because it's what your parents have taught you, and you want to please them, which is which was which was uh, true of of me. But but I became converted to the gospel, and and it really reached a climax or started to to um, become personal for me uh, about the age of fourteen, and. I started to really internalize the the principles of the gospel. I started to read my scriptures. I started to, um, I, I had always read them, but I, I started to really read them and dive into them. And 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 my pictures on on my wall changed from pictures of Michael Jordan and basketball to pictures of Christ. And um, and uh, why, why did you do that? I mean, why is a why does a fourteen year old boy suddenly become interested in studying the scriptures? Um, I I really think, in hindsight, that I felt the spirit. I felt, I felt a strong yearning to do what 
Christ and Heavenly Father wanted me to do. Are you able to identify what it was that helped you to feel the Spirit? Um, Were there any teachers that you... that you? Yeah, uh, I know, mean... Anything your parents did? I would said? say it's a number of things stacked on top of each other, right? I, I, had, I had very loving and supportive parents um, who had taught me the gospel, who who raised me in the gospel, who were a great example of righteousness. I had great leaders at church um, who I looked up to and respected, who were great fathers and mothers and, and who I looked up to and wanted to be like, who were selfless and served and did all of that. And then seminary and great seminary teachers. And, and I just, I, I would feel the spirit so strong. I, um, in, in, in church, in seminary, in, in going to, you know, some might laugh at this, but going to EFY, I had really strong spiritual experiences going there. Um, just great, great role models and really powerful experiences where I felt, I really felt the spirit very strongly in my life. And I, I had this great desire to, to do to, to, to be the best servant I could to Christ and to Heavenly Father and to maximize that and to try to be, um, be a good servant for them. And, and so it, it came out of all of those things and reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures. And, and, and it's just, you know, light begets light. And as you, as you, as you bring more light into your life, you, you yearn for it more and you crave it more. And I would say, I would say that uh, from 14 to my mission were kind of my, the peak time before my mission where I really, I started to feel the spirit and understand the spirit and love it and love the church, love the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and everything that it entails. So. And so then you went on a mission uh-huh. and how was that for you? Mission was great. I mean, it's like everybody else's. It was hard. <laughs> it was really hard. It's in Russia, and, and there's lots of challenges that come with serving in, in a foreign country and learning, learning another language. Um, I don't think I've ever felt so homesick as I did the first two months on my mission. This was before email, you know, uh, with, uh, with your family home. And so um, I didn't, I didn't, have any letters from my family until I had been in Russia for two, for two months. So I hadn't, hadn't heard from them and, or maybe it was a month. I did. I don't think I received my first letter until I'd been in Russia for a month. And it was a hard first month. I don't understand anything. I can't speak very well. And, and, you know, we're being chased on the streets and, you know, just craziness that comes with mission life. And so it was, it was hard, but learn to love it, learn to love the people and serve the people and, great experience, um, surrounded by great members and great missionaries and great leaders and a great mission president. So did did you experience any challenges to your faith during that time? I mean, obviously mission, you know, can be hard for a variety of reasons, but you know, any kinds of, um, you know, critical information about the church that, that shook your testimony or, or any challenges that you faced? Yeah. I would say, um, you know, I was, um, I was, Probably on my mission, which is true for a lot of people, if you've grown up in Utah, um, not as much now as I think um, when I was younger, but for the first time I was exposed to a lot of things on my mission that I had never been exposed to before. Um, I, you know, I was having at, at one point in my mission in one city I'm, I'm thinking of, at the same time we were, we were teaching an atheist and preacher of another church and, you know, all of these different, um, people from different backgrounds, from different, um, from different faiths and you're being hit on every side and, and challenged. And so that was a time when I'm really diving into the scriptures, really trying to understand, trying to help them. And so, yeah, there was, there was challenges with it, but, um, but I would say that it didn't impact me, um, too bad on, 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 on my mission. I was, uh, I wasn't shaken necessarily by those experiences. More challenged, I guess. Yeah. Than, than yeah. Shaken. Yeah. And so then you come back and, um, what kind of experience did you have, um, after you came back from your mission? You know, was it, I, I, 
my understanding is is that within the first you know three or four months or so, um, a lot of missionaries can start to kind of you know taper off in their activity and, and kind of start mm-hmm. falling back into um, you know old patterns and old habits that um, you know maybe they had before. Uh, what was your experience? Yeah, I would say that wasn't me. Um, I came back and I uh, I I was as gung ho after my mission as I was on and before, and um, I was called to be elders quorum president in in my in my quorum, um, and so serving serving people, um, trying to help them. I mean, I was I was I was gung ho. I was as gung ho as ever. Um, I I wanted to serve in the temple as a as a temple worker, so I volunteered to do that, and and uh, I still I still felt passionately about the church. I still I still was was very involved, and my testimony was great. Yeah, I, I was I was very conservative. I was I was I was raised to be very conservative, and I continued to be, and and uh, I tended to be more conservative than a lot of the girls that I dated, and and not that I. I um I I absolutely own all of my problems and and the mistakes that I made but um but I I was exposed to other ideas and ways through different girls that I dated because they they tended to be less conservative than I was and so that was one component of of many but but anyway um you're going to BYU at the time yeah yeah I was going to BYU and uh but no I was man I I still love the church. I still love serving in the church. I still, and I was still very active. I had callings and, and yeah, it was, it was good. So in your, um, you know, I guess your biography that you wrote up on your Facebook page, mm-hmm. uh, you said, and then it happened, I started to slip. And so how long was it um, after your mission that you, you know, say that you started to slip? Yeah. Um, it was probably, uh, three, three or four years after. So I was, I was finishing up my undergraduate degree at BYU and, um, and that's, and and so coupled with, um, new information, new ideas, I'd been exposed to, you know, other ideas and then, and then I had some personal challenges. I was going through a kind of health uh, challenge, and um, and and this kind of created this perfect storm for me that that kind of led me down this path where I started to slip. And so, when you say you know um, started to slip, uh, what, what are you referring to? You know, what what is it? Uh, you, you said it didn't happen all at once. There mm-hmm. wasn't one moment that set it off. But what kinds of things, in retrospect, were you able to identify that you would say that's where I started to slip? Yeah. Um, I would say, I would say that the first the first things I started to do were the small things. I started to leave out. Um, I, I, I had and I mentioned this in my story, and um, I had I had always been really good at praying morning and night, and reading my scriptures, and actively participating in church, and looking for ways to serve, and doing all these things. And I reached a point where. I started to kind of uh, doubt the reason behind that and, and say, I've done this for so long. I've read my scriptures for so long. I've created my own topical guide for the Book of Mormon, you know, that, and I know the scriptures. Maybe I don't need to read them as much. And it was really kind of this slow. It, it wasn't like, a, I'm reading, now I've stopped. It just happened slowly. And, okay, maybe I'll not read tonight. And then it turned into two days, three days, four days, a week, a month, whatever. And I'm not, and so now I'm not reading my scriptures as much. I'm not praying as much. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not serving in church. I'm not actively looking for ways to serve those around me. I'm, um, and so for me, in hindsight, I really think that my spiritual foundation started to erode um, by my own doing because I started to move away from those small and seemingly insignificant factors that are so important. And truly, I believe that, um, you know, we're, we are spiritual beings. And, and, when you, and when you fail to 
just like anything else in life. I mentioned this as well, but it's true. Uh, if, if, if you fail to take care of your body by doing the simple principles that are needed every day, your body slowly starts to break down. You are more susceptible to disease or sickness or whatever. The same is true spiritually. If you are failing to, doing, to, to do these small things that build you up, over time, you become more susceptible to, to the evil and the darkness and Satan who's out there. And, 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 I, and I believe that he is, and I know that he's real. And so those things, and the world is filled with, with filth. And so if you're not actively participating or actively working to keep it at bay, it will start to creep in. And so that was, I think that was the first thing. And then I started to... I started to, um, uh, uh, along with along with my. Well, well, you talk in your story about you, you call it complacency and pride. Yeah, and and I I can see how the complacency aspect works into this. That yeah. you just you know not doing the stuff that you used to be doing. Um, how how do you identify pride as being a factor? Uh, so I um, I started to. I mean, I think. I think as you get older and you become more educated, you start to uh, think you're smarter, which is true. I mean, you're, you're, you're learning, you're growing, you're becoming smarter. But I started to think that maybe I had figured it out, that I knew better than, say, the church leaders who had advised me to, to avoid this or do this. I started, to, I started to question those things. I started to say, um, maybe I'm the exception maybe I don't need to do X, Y, Z all the time. And this, and, and, and this isn't going to happen to me because I'm strong enough that I can avoid it. And so I started to become more prideful in my own ability, in my own thinking process. In, and, and I started to doubt. I started to doubt. And this is kind of coupled with, um, I, you know, I, I, I struggled with, with a health problem and, and it got, it got me down and, and I felt like, I felt like Heavenly Father wasn't there the way that I thought that he would be there for me. I think, um, I think oftentimes in our life when we experience adversity, we look to Heavenly Father and we say, why, why me? I've done, I've done all these things. I've been good for so long and now I'm being punished. And we expect everything in life to be rosy and nothing bad to happen. And so when something bad does happen, you, you, you say, why? why? Why me? And so I became a little bit hurt. And, and I started to think, I felt like um, maybe Heavenly Father isn't there. And so maybe, maybe all this stuff that I've been doing uh, isn't what I thought it was, isn't worth it. Um, it's not working. It's not. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. If, so, I, if, if, if I were praying and reading my scriptures and going to church and, and I, I have some kind of major health crisis, that's not fair. Yeah. No, nothing bad should ever happen to me if I'm doing all these things. Right. Which well, is, a, and, you know, what kind of process did you go through? Um, uh, you know, with, you know, I don't know if you're, you're comfortable going into details with this health problem, but um, how, how serious was it? Did you, were you receiving priesthood blessings and, you know, um, you know, was this something that family members were concerned about? Um, I mean, it, it was. Uh, I'm I'm kind of a private person when it when it comes to these issues, so it wasn't something that I shared broadly with a lot of people. I had close family members who knew about it. I did have priesthood blessings for it and sought them out, and and um, and I I really believed I had the faith that that if I believed strong, uh, if, if I had enough faith, the Heavenly Father would take this challenge away from me. And in fact, I would pray for that. I would actively pray specifically for that for years. Um, and, uh, and in hindsight, um, this, is, this is kind of after the fact, but I think it's important to, to recognize and I completely understand now that 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 challenge and other challenges have made me stronger, have helped me to become the person that I am and helped me to become more like Heavenly Father. And as we know, that's part of life. That's why we're here, to go through adversity, to learn from those experiences. And I'm grateful for it. And, I'm, and I recognize now that 
Heavenly Father is a wise, all-knowing, loving Heavenly Father who says, I know this is hard for you and is hurting you, but I'm not going to take it away because you need it. And, but, but you don't see that in the moment. And so in that moment, I, I wanted it to go away. And because it wasn't going away and I thought that it should, um, I, I became a little bit bitter and it, it wasn't like immediate, but it, it grew over time. It, all this stuff started to compound on each other as I'm, as I'm slowly not, um, doing all of these other things. And as I'm, as I'm starting to think that I'm smarter than my parents and my church leaders and all those who have given me good advice over the years, this starts to compound. I start to become complacent. I start to become prideful and it starts to walk me down this path of, uh, doubting everything and ultimately coming to the point where I don't think the church is true anymore. So did you eventually overcome this health problem? Uh, no, (laughs) no, no. It's something that I still deal with and, uh, and, and it's fine. You know, it's something I don't enjoy, but it's part of life and that's okay. Okay. And so, um, your, your perspective on that has changed. Absolutely. And that's the difference. Yeah. Okay. And, and in retrospect, I guess you can see how it is that it's, it's been good in the sense that it's helped create that, you know, the character and the strength that you have now. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in your story on, on, you know, on Facebook, you talk about complacency and pride. You, you talk about how you started to go through this paradigm shift and started to see things more cynically. You also talk about instant gratification. Um, can you elaborate on what you mean by that? What, what role did that play? Yeah, I, I, um, I, as I started to become more prideful, as I started to doubt all uh, the doctrine and the um, um, uh, advice that that maybe my parents and the church and the brethren give you, which is great, um, I st- I fell for in in my view one of the most f- fundamental lies out there that is perpetuated by the world that that uh, things like money and uh, fame and uh, sex, drugs, whatever it is, that those can bring lasting happiness, that chasing that type of lifestyle can, will bring you more happiness and joy and more long-term happiness and joy than the alternative, which is you know, living these eternal principles and sticking to them which may in the moment seem restrictive, but in the long run, you realize that they're protective and they help establish this foundation. And so, and so I started to do things that were against what the church taught, uh, seeking this happiness and um, thinking that, it, that this lifestyle would bring me more happiness. And, um, and, uh, and ultimately it didn't, right? So... And so, you know, without going into details about what it is you're, you know, exactly doing, can you give us an idea of, of how bad it became in terms of, you know, um, you know, was it, uh, well, did it call into question your temple worthiness, for example? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it did. Again, it was slow. It didn't, didn't happen overnight, but eventually I got to the point where, um, I actually had a friend, a, a close friend who, who was getting married in the temple and, and I wasn't worthy anymore to go to the temple and I could have lied cause I still had my temple recommend. Um, but at that point I, I, I had come to the conclusion personally that the church wasn't true. And so really it would have been no skin off my back to go and lie. I could still have been there, but I, I didn't feel like. I didn't feel comfortable going. And, and so I didn't, and I made up an excuse. Um, I think I said I had to work and, uh, and I didn't go. And that was, that was kind of the first time that, um, that that happened, but it continued to happen. And I I continued to start to avoid, um, uh, opportunities to go to the temple or because I wasn't worthy and, um, I couldn't, I, I had done things that, that had made me unworthy to enter the temple, although I had not yet at that point told my, um, my priesthood leaders that 
They didn't know that, and I could have. I still had a temp recommend. I, I still could have gone. So, how long did this process take? You know, starting from the time where you said you started to slip, yeah, to the time where you decided this church isn't true. Can you give me an, you know, kind of an estimate on how long that process took? From the time I started to slip to the point where I thought that the church wasn't true was likely a year to two years, and then I continued to maintain that thought process and believe that for the next two to three years uh if i'm doing my math right so yeah it was uh all all told it was about a a four year four to five year process okay so year year or two um you decide the church isn't true and then another couple years yeah you, you work your way back yeah um so talk to me a little bit about um your you know, this paradigm shift and, and what role did cynicism play in um, your your disaffection from the church? Yeah, well, I think that you um, once you allow this doubt to creep in, um, you start to yeah, you just start to be much more cynical of of everything, right? And anytime, yeah, I mean. As you become cynical, you you look for ways to find fault with what the church is doing or with with the with what the church has done, and so and so you start to say, "Aha, right there, they've that right there. They made a mistake. They messed up. They're horrible. You know, they they they've done a bad thing, or you know, whatever." And and I started to and naturally as. Uh, you start to look for people who identify with the way that you are feeling at the time. And so I found a group of friends or people who, who were having the same feelings and we would discuss this and you feed, you feed each other's fire. You, um, you, you add, uh, you add to each other's, uh, cynicism maybe. Were these BYU students? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And, and so what, what kind of, of discussions were you having? What, what were the kind of, you know, cynical notions that you guys were entertaining? Um, oh, man, it's been so long, and I don't, I, don't, I don't remember specifics, like specific conversations we would have necessarily about specific topics. Um, you know, we would talk about your, your, um, your pretty common um, issues, um, Joseph Smith and polygamy or um, um, the Book of Mormon and the way it was translated or or just the way that the leaders uh, receive revelation and or the fact that they're that they're fallible that they sometimes make mistakes and oh how could a prophet ever you know a prophet if they say they're a prophet they should be perfect they should never make a mistake and so you start to discuss these things. And so I, I can't remember specific conversations, but it was about those types of things. And, um, and, and we would just discuss them in general. And then we would also discuss how people around us, people that we knew, and girls that we were dating um, were naive to this fact. Were, um, we had come to a greater understanding, and they just didn't know yet. And so yeah, and if they did know, then they'd be as cynical as you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And did you ever keep up with those guys? Do you know what happened with them? Yeah, I stay, uh, I've stayed in contact with some of them. Um, uh, not all of them. Um, some of them have had a similar experience to me and have, have had a... Um, have had a rejuvenation of their testimony, I guess you could say, have, have, have come back and some, and some haven't, some, some have, have stayed away and remained, uh, remained cynical. Not all are cynical, but, um, um, some have just decided that, um, they want to live another lifestyle. I think some are, I think some are still trying to figure it out. I think they're still, they're still really lost and don't, know completely what they're 
what they're trying to do. So, I mean, during this time when you're having these discussions with these guys, they're all, you know, all BYU students. Yeah. Um, were you all open with each other about your beliefs about the church? And, you know, were you all kind of at the position where you said the church isn't true? Or was it more a matter of you guys all kind of talking about how there are all these problems with the church? If I'm remembering right, I, th- I think it was probably like 50-50. Some, some had come to the conclusion already that the church wasn't true. And, you know, they're just, they're just trying to get through BYU and graduate. And then they can, you know, go off and do their thing. While others are still trying to figure it out, but they've got serious doubt. And, 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 th- and these discussions are, are feeding that doubt. And, and, uh, and so they were still kind of trying to figure that out. Okay. And you mentioned, too, in your, um, your, your bio that you had read a lot of negative stuff about the church. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of stuff are you being exposed to? What kinds of things are you reading? Um, how are you being exposed to negative stuff about the church? I kind of came across it on my own originally. Um, I, I started to... I had, I had read Richard Bushman's Rough Stone Rolling. And, um, and from there, that, that led me to... Which, which was... Um, at that point, I think that... I mean, now... A lot of the things that are, I would say, everything that's written in that book is well known to most people um, within the church. Um, but at the time, it, it it wasn't as as much, and so and so some of those things uh, I was exposed to for the first time, and and I was exposed to them at the time when I'm already doubting. So I'm already in a position where I'm questioning the leaders questioning god if god even exists and so so then i start searching for more answers so i you know i'm i'm online i'm i'm just searching for stuff and i i can't i can't recall specific uh websites or anything that i've gone to uh but um or that i went to but i was but i was exposed to it through that and then through these discussions with other friends who were feeling the same way who then bring in their own oh have you heard this or think about this or you know and so so I was exposed through those means, and I kind of sought it out. Um, it wasn't necessarily dumped on me. Um, and, uh, yeah, so. Well, and, you know, when I asked you what kind of negative information you've been exposed to, you mentioned um, rough stone rolling. Yeah. And, you know, from your perspective now, would you characterize that as negative information? No, and, and, and I wouldn't say that rough stone rolling is negative information, um, but I think that... If, if you haven't been, if you've never heard these things and, and, and you're exposed to, to them, whether it's through rust on rolling or through some other means, and you're already in a state of doubt and you're already in a state of wavering and questioning the church and, and God, frankly, I didn't even know if God existed anymore. I was, I was trying to figure that out. And so okay, God doesn't exist, or I don't know if he exists. And, and now, well, there's all these things that I hadn't heard about, you know, Joseph Smith. And, and, and in, in hindsight, I feel like there are good answers for those things. And they make sense to me as much as they can make sense in the context of history where we don't have all the, have all the pieces, we don't have all the information, et cetera, right? Um, uh, but, uh, and so... But in that state of mind, they just, you know, they start to, okay, God doesn't exist. And now there's all these things. Well, yeah, maybe the church, I don't know, the church just, if God doesn't exist, then this church isn't God's church, obviously. And so then, and now I'm learning about these things I've never heard of. And so it just piles on. Right? So it sounds like the difference between how you viewed rough stone rolling then versus how you view it now is your state of mind. Yeah, the paradigm with which you're viewing the facts. Yeah, absolutely, and and I yeah the paradigm, and I think I the assumptions think, that you make that you know that you bring to your your review of these facts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and it's uh, yeah yeah totally yeah. Okay, and um, so wh- why did you decide to read Rough Stone Rolling? I mean, you know, you're deciding. Eh, I don't know if I want to pray. I don't know if I you know, <laughs> yeah. not, don't know if the church is. Maybe I don't even believe in God. And so why would you decide to read Rough Stone Rolling? Was this to kind of gather evidence against the church, or what? What was it? Uh, to be honest, I don't even remember. I don't. I don't know where I. 
because I, I rented it from the BYU library as a student, I remember. Um, and, uh, but I don't, I don't remember why I decided to pick it up. I honestly don't, mm. don't remember. I, I don't know if someone told me or if, I don't know. I'm not even sure. And do you remember any kinds of specific facts that you were coming across that, you know, were, would, would shake you or you know, were they really especially disturbing? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so for instance, um, I had never heard, I had never heard that Joseph Smith, um, you know, would, would put his head into a black hat and translate, um, sometimes and using a seer stone yeah with a seer stone and and so and so it's just again i I think it's just you know wow like i've never heard that before that's kind of weird and you've never heard it and so it's 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 this odd thing and i don't know i don't i mean (laughs) i have no problem with it now i mean who who really cares if he used a hat or if he didn't use a hat and he was using the hat to block out light, which makes sense. Right. Uh, and anyway, so it's, there's, so that was, that was one thing. Um, um, I think just the, I'm trying to think of others. Um, the fact that there were multiple versions of the first vision, I don't think I'd ever heard that before. And, um, and I think, um, just, just the extent of just going into details with, polygamy and how polygamy was i just i just didn't know much about it to be honest and so all of these things in hindsight um i've been able to work through personally and uh but at the time if you're hearing them for the first time on your own in this state of mind in this paradigm it was you know it just added it and and i wouldn't say that that was the reason that left that caused me to leave the church i had already I was already I was doubting God and and if God doesn't exist no religion ex- you know how do you think you would have received rough stone rolling um a couple of years earlier you know when you were in this you know kind of mode where you're you're reading your scriptures and you're saying your prayers and you're you know mm-hmm. uh, engaged in the church and the gospel and then you find out Joseph Smith used a seer stone Joseph Smith was a polygamist um you know you you start finding out these these facts you weren't aware of before uh do you think that you would have received them differently Yeah absolutely um I it's it's hard to say exactly how but uh but I think absolutely I would have received them differently um yeah no okay question. so um we, we talked about your you know complacency we talked about pride um instant gratification a paradigm shift Mm-hmm. cynicism and you know criticism doubt uh and, and then what happened well that that continued for a while i decided to i decided to take a job opportunity in seattle um and um it was a great it was a great opportunity and and i was i was excited honestly i was excited to um, leave Utah and being surrounded by Mormons and go somewhere else. And kind of did, did, did your family know at this point that you didn't believe in God and you didn't believe in the church? No, no. Did, did close friends know? Yeah, there were there were there were close friends. I guess the friends that you're griping about the church, <laughs> right? With, right. Yeah, yeah. But um, they knew uh, there was some. It wasn't generally known then. No, no. I yeah. I, I, so I would say that I I don't know. Um, I never felt I I was cynical for a time and very cynical but I at some point I can't remember exactly when it was I started to be I started to um still not believe I still believed the church was not true I still felt that you know people within the church and people that I knew and people that I loved family members and friends who were members of the church that they were maybe misguided that they just didn't know that they would find out eventually but i but i went from being very cynical and negative towards the church to to being able to recognize the good that was still in the church so i could recognize that there were good people in the church they were trying to do what's best and even though maybe the church wasn't true they believed that it was and they were they were doing what they thought was best in their heart and that includes the brethren i've you know through my experience growing up i had interacted with you know 
apostles on on some level. And and I, I went to BYU Idaho when um, Elder Bednar was president there, and I interacted with him from time to time. And and I knew from personal experience that these were good men who I felt truly cared about the people they were serving and truly believed what they said they believed, even though I didn't think it was true. And so I shifted from being completely cynical and negative and not being able to recognize any good within the church to, to being able to say, okay, maybe I don't believe it, but I can recognize the good and I can recognize the good that's in it. And so because of that, I was still, I still, I didn't want to damage my relationships with my close friends who I'd grown up with for so long, who, who, who believed and my family members. And so even though I thought they were misguided and they didn't know the truth, um, I kind of kept it to myself. I would share it with the people who I was griping with about the church or who felt the same as me. And, and I shared it with some close with, with my cousin who, who was active and who, and who knew fully my experiences and we would have conversations, but he still loved me and I still loved him and we were able to get along fine. And we actually were living together, um, during part of this time. And, uh, yeah, uh, but most, most people close to me didn't know at this time. And for me, going to Seattle was a way to, in some ways, escape that and be able to find new friends and people who I could relate with more. And truly, I thought that I would find, I would find a better way of life out there. Um, and one that brought me more happiness. Is there anything that you think that anyone could have done at this point before you went to Seattle? So, you know, let's say your parents figure out, or maybe you tell them, I don't believe the church is true, you know, I don't believe in God. But it, it, you know, is there anything anyone could have done? Yeah, that's a great question, and I've thought about that a lot. Um, um, honestly, I don't, I don't know that answer because I'm, I'm a very stubborn person. <laughs> My wife would be the first to tell you that. And, uh, and so this is something that maybe you kind of had to let play out. Yeah. Uh, honestly, that, that, that might've been the scenario. It's, it's possible that at some point down this path, um, if someone would have known and if someone would have interjected or if I would have been, and frankly, I had friends and family members reach out to me during this time who would probe a little bit. I think they sensed, they knew, and they've told me in hindsight, they, they, they could see me going down this path slowly, although they didn't know the full extent, right? Because, I mean, did anybody ever say, you know, hey, uh, you know, you're reading your scriptures, you're saying your prayers, you're going to church, and, you know, I mean, were they seeing red flags and identifying them and pointing them out to you? Yeah, I think, I think there were people who, who did that, but I would either lie <laughs> to be completely honest i would say oh yeah things are great i'm doing awesome i'm doing fine or they would they would say my mom i mean and it was small stuff you know how how moms are i would post a picture i'd say something on facebook and i and 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 she would make a comment privately to me about hey are you do you think you should say that or do you think you should be doing this you know just small stuff and i just I was stubborn. I always just deflected it. I always pushed it aside. And so I had a friend who, so my cousin who, who was maybe the only family member I had who knew completely what was going on. We had a mutual friend who also knew and they were having a conversation and this other friend told him because he was worried about me. And, um, they said to him, rich is going to have to go through this and figure it out in order to come back and gain his testimony. Like this is a process he needs to go through. And so, and so I think my stubbornness just had to play out. So, uh, you know, what advice would you have for friends or family members, you know, for a mother who's who's worried uh, and she sees this kind of thing starting to happen? Uh, What would you tell them? Oh man, it's hard. Uh, Hopefully they, they don't have, um, they don't have a child that's as stubborn as me. That's more. Yeah, risky. everybody's different. So right? I mean, it's kind of hard to say this is. Yeah. You know, this is the answer. Yeah, I would say. I mean, the first thing is just love. Like you, you continue to love and and support, which my family did. And so because of that, there were no 
bridges burned, right? There's, there's no one that's shunning me. There's no one that's like criticizing me or, or, you know, making me feel uncomfortable. Um, and so love and support and saying, I think, I think to say, Hey, I see that you're doing these things. Is there any way that I can help? Maybe just reaching out and showing that support and then playing it from there, right? If, if that person's willing to accept support, then obviously you would go down that path. Would you have been offended if somebody said, hey, I noticed you haven't been coming to church. Um, I noticed, you know, uh, I noticed you're not participating in, in you know, this way or that way. Um, is there anything, anything going on? Is there anything I can do to help? Um, how would you have reacted to that? I think I would have taken it okay. I think that I would have sidestepped it. Um, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at. Uh, I mean, dodging. I, yeah, dodging. <laughs> dodging. Yeah, I, I, and and a great example of that is I spent. I I spent six years at BYU getting my degrees. Seven actually. Um, seven without getting married, and you know the pressure, you know, to, you know find someone and settle down. And I was very good at dodging that. And so seven, you had a master's degree. Right, right, okay. right. And so, um, and so I was very good at, at dodging. But no, I don't think that I would have been offended at all. And I think that, I think that oftentimes members of the church, myself included, we may feel prompted to reach out to someone like that, but we're afraid to offend. And so we don't. Or, or we... Um, or we dismiss it because we think, oh, you know, they're probably fine. And, and I, think, I think that it, it goes with that saying, if people don't care what you have to say until they know how much you care, right? And if, if people know that you care and if people know that you love them and if that love, if that foundation is there, that they're not going to be offended if you are reaching out with sincere concern. And so, and so I, think that's, I think that's a good piece of advice of, for family members, um, if you if you feel like someone is is going down this path, that you can reach out. Although that's not to say that they won't that they won't be offended, because some people are regardless, and some people are going to throw up their walls and their barriers and whatever. But love as the foundation, I think, is is key, which I think most people do. But then um, maybe maybe following that instinct and reaching out. But then if that person reacts negatively to not, not distance yourself, which, which I think members of the church do because they don't want to offend. And so they pull back and naturally that person feels like sometimes, oh, well, they're distancing themselves from me. And it creates this, 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 uh, this gap. Right. And so, so then there's this gap. And so I think that it happens without people realizing that it's, that it's going on and not on purpose, but, um, yeah. All right. So you finally get this chance to get away from the Mormons. Yeah. You know, go to Seattle and, yeah. you know, live your life yeah. and, you know, explore new vistas. And so how does that go for you? Um, it, it went pretty well. Um, I, I had a great job. I, um, I was working this job with great people. Um, and I was actually... There was there was one other member of the church. Well, I mean, there were a few. There, there there was one specifically in the building that I was working in who was also a member of the church, who was a graduate of BYU, and he was married and, and active and great. And and I and we had a good relationship, but he was unaware of of what I was going through as well because I wasn't I wasn't telling him. And so Besides him, there were no other members of the church with uh, with who I was working with, but great, great people, and and I, um, you know, I I started looking for girls to date outside of the LDS faith. Um, although I had a little bit of a hard time, because and this is a side note, but um, even though I decided the church wasn't true, I still was not a fan of alcohol and drinking, and so and so I didn't want to drink, and I didn't drink. And I've, I've never, I've never drank, uh, I've never tasted alcohol to this day, but it wasn't for religious reasons at the time. It was just because I didn't, I didn't like it and for health reasons, et cetera. And so, but that's so much of the social culture outside of really any, 
anyone that doesn't drink. And so anyway, that, that was a barrier to finding girls because, uh, you go to, you go to, uh, you go to a bar or a club or wherever to meet a girl and, and you can't, I mean, you can buy them a drink, but if you're not drinking, it's, it's weird. It's awkward. Anyway. So I, there were, there were still challenges finding girls to, to, to date outside of, of Mormonism. Um, even though I didn't believe, uh, in Mormonism anymore. And so, um, so it went well. Uh, and were, were there members of the church who were contacting you? Did, did the local bishop know that you were in the area? Uh, yeah. So I, um, let's see. I'm trying to think of how it happened. I think. Were, so, your, were your records up there? When I moved up there. So I, you, <laughs> this is, I feel uh, it's kind of uh, shameful. I feel ashamed to even admit this, but um, I I saw the church up there as as a way to possibly still meet girls, and so and so I still went to. What, this, what was your plan? Would you would you um, you know deconvert them? Is you know, was that the idea or? Yeah. So I was I was open to whatever, right? I was open to finding a girl outside of the Mormon faith and marrying her, and or finding a girl within the faith who then identified with the same feelings I had. And then we could, and because she had the same background and culture as me, it would probably be easier. Understand you better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so was there any of that going on with you where you would try to deconvert people and say, Hey, did you know about this? And you know, you know, I was, um, to some extent, but not, not really because I, like I said, I went from being cynical and negative towards the church to to recognizing and and, and seeing the good within the church and, and the good people within the church. And so I felt almost a obligation to not um to not project my ideas on girls who were younger than me because I was dating girls that were younger than me and I didn't want them to leave the church because of me. If they left the church on their own you know, on their own path without me like putting it in their mind, I was fine and happy with that. But I didn't want to destroy the faith that they had. And so, and so I was, I, I was careful in the way that I, uh, that I approached that. I would, I, and, and I was slow to open up to girls, to LDS girls. And, and, and it, it actually, it probably, it, that was one of the reasons that I broke up with a lot of girls that I dated that were LDS is we would get to a point where I would open up to, because there's, there's no way I'm going to marry a girl and then tell her after the fact, I don't believe that this church is true. That would be horrible. And so, and so we'd get to a point in our dating, maybe, you know, a month along or, or, or something. And I would start to express my concerns or my, my beliefs and they were always, you know, they would always try to help me. They would always try to help me understand the truthfulness of the gospel and regain my testimony. But none of them, but again, I was way stubborn and I thought I was, I knew more than them. I had more experience than them and I was older than them and all, all of that. And so ultimately that, that led to the, to the end of all of these relationships because they obviously wanted to get married in the temple, which, which I understood and, and I respected, but I, I wasn't there. And so, and so, but I wasn't actively going out trying to deconvert, you know, were you involved in any kinds of, um, online communities of, you know, ex Mormons or, uh, you know, were, were you still involved with groups that were critical of the church and complaining and, you know, cynical or, or, or did that kind of end once you left Utah? I wasn't involved in any groups. I was still in, in communication with my friends who I talked to over the phone who identified with me and we would talk about it and, and have conversations about it. Um, I'm thinking of specific people that are coming to mind, which I don't want to name. But, um, but I, and, and I would say maybe I differ from some people who leave the church in that I never, well, except for the time when I was going through my cynical stage and I was very negative towards the church, I didn't identify with the people who could never see any good within the church and were only trying to bash the church because that just wasn't truthful either. 
yeah, maybe, maybe I didn't believe that the church was true and maybe the doctrines weren't what I thought they were. And maybe, and yes, there, there were mistakes that were made by leaders, but that didn't, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they don't ever do anything good or that they're not good. So you had this phase, I guess you went through where you saw the church as a bad thing, but then you kind of came through that phase. Yeah. And so then you, you believe the church is not true, but not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. And what's, what's fascinating is there's this kind of reverse discrimination outside of Utah, right? Where not every, it doesn't happen universally, but, but there's a anti-Mormon bias that exists. I mean, I mean, it, as evidenced by, by the large percentage of people who said they, they would not vote for Mitt Romney because he's Mormon. Like that, that was a higher percentage than people who said they're not going to vote for Barack Obama because he's black. There's obviously a bias against Mormonism out there in the world. And so I experienced that. And there's this weirdness that people get when they, because oftentimes they don't understand the church. And so they, they are very negative towards it. And so I saw that kind of for the first time in my life. I mean, I, I had lived outside of Utah on my mission and at other times, but as an adult living in a community outside of Utah and interacting with people and again, not the majority, but, but, but there, is a, there is a minority of people who have this bias against Mormonism and say things that are ridiculously unintelligent and untrue about Mormonism. And I found myself finding that to be just as disingenuous as I thought maybe the problems I thought were within the church. So I, I found, I saw problems on both sides of the spectrum and I found myself in the middle to some degree kind of caught in the middle as a boy who's been raised in Mormonism now doesn't believe that it's true, but trying to find someone who can, who can accept me for my Mormonism without bashing, bashing the good within the church. And that was a a hard niche to find. Yeah. And so I guess at this point, the reasons you believe the church aren't true don't have a lot to do with thinking the church is bad, but more have to do with things like, uh, translation of the, the Book of Mormon or polygamy or, you know, some historical or doctrinal types of issues. Is that right? Uh, that, but um, that and, and I, I what, well, actually at this point, at some point, I don't remember exactly when it happened. I went from not believing in God to regaining my belief in God, but not understanding him and, and thinking, okay, I believe that God exists. I've felt things and had experiences in my life where I do feel like there is something bigger than us. There is a creator, a God, a something like that, right? But I don't completely understand him. I don't com- understand my relationship with him necessarily. And I don't necessarily think that he has a church out there. Or if he does, I don't know what it is. Yeah. And so I actually went to... Um, I went to some other churches. Um, I went to some non-denominational Christian churches uh, because they they have, you know, the same values that I grew up with, but maybe not some of the same other doctrines that the Mormon church. And so I thought that might be a good fit for me, but I found that to not, um, I actually, I mean, that was an interesting experience. I, um, I went with another friend of mine who was LDS in the area uh, who incidentally was not going through the same crisis I was. And who, and who didn't know, but we went to see if we could find girls, which would have been the perfect fit for me, right? A Christian background uh, who had the same kind of upbringing, but isn't Mormon. And so, and we, um, we got, you know, we, we, we had an, uh, we had a kind of a bad experience where we, we go to this meeting and we're talking to people after, and then we kind of get we get like boxed into this corner and people start asking, well, where are you guys from? And, oh, well, we came from Utah. Oh, what are you doing here? And then eventually they go, oh, you're from Utah. Are you guys Mormon? Yeah, we, yeah, we grew up Mormon. And then, and then it just, they started to pile on and, and not to say that everyone there was doing this or was like that at all, but at least these people who were approaching us, they were very antagonistic towards us because we came from the Mormon faith. And, um, and so it wasn't a positive experience for me. And so I was like, okay, I, I'm not going back there. Right. And, uh, anyway, so 
I was searching for something out there that was a replacement for Mormonism, which I didn't believe to be true. But I now had a belief in God, and uh, but wasn't exactly sure where where it stood. If you like this podcast, you can help promote it by rating it in iTunes and by writing a review. Post a link to it on your blog or Facebook page and tell your friends about us. Questions or comments about this episode can be sent to podcast at fairlds.org or join the conversation at Fair Mormon Blog. Music for this episode was provided courtesy of Paul Cardall. The opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or of Fair Mormon.